0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, September 22nd, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 to 44. After telling Israel what blessings the Lord will give them when they keep his commandments in the promised land, Moses now begins to warn Israel of the curses the Lord will send when they don't keep his commandments. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: Yeah, great to be with you, Tim, to talk about curses.
0: What fun text. Yeah. <laughs> so we get to talk about curses today. Give us the context in Deuteronomy. Where are we? What do we need to know?
1: Yeah, we're right coming right to the end. So the majority of the book, well, the yeah, the majority of the book is this kind of um, final sermon of Moses on the banks of the Jordan River, looking to cross into the land to enter into their inheritance, uh, but not in yet. And so he gives this... Um, you know to the next generation i think is a good way to think of it that did not maybe doesn't remember egypt uh doesn't wasn't maybe was born in the wilderness um and so didn't see the plagues didn't see the red sea crossing but experienced the wilderness uh journeyings and god's provision there it's this final uh, address from the prophet moses and that it reminds them of everything that has happened in the past, and then also looks forward to life in the land. And I think what we what we have in our reading for today is really this warning about um, what will happen, and and it's kind of a prophetic warning in the sense that um, it's not just like, hey, this might happen to you, but it's it almost slips into this is going to happen to you, and there is going to be a curse. Um, there's a threat uh, of punishment here. God is not going to sit idly by uh, if and when you disobey him.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about that, because it does, as you read the text, start to sound very much like a, a more of a when than an if. You get the word if, but it does sound like a, a, a prophetic word here from Moses. Talk a little bit about the, the context that we've been reading. You said we're at the end of the book. Uh, we've we've got two mountains that are going to be used by the people of Israel. We know this happens in the book of Joshua. Just r- remind us of the—we're I mean, talking sure. about curses today, but there is there are blessings in the context, too.
1: Yeah, at the end of, of Deuteronomy, which is the, um, if you want to know the name, that title, Deuteronomy is a, a Greek title that means the second law. Deutero is second, and then nomos is law. So it's kind of the second um, rendition of the law, um, repeating what already came in Exodus and Leviticus, um, and to some extent in Numbers too. Um, and so what's what Moses is is saying here, as the people go in, uh, is there are blessings and there are curses, right? As the, the people who God has chosen for himself, this um, prized possession, this per, uh, peculiar nation, I think is one of the old translations, this holy people, um, they've been brought into this covenant with the Lord. And part of the covenant is that there are blessings for obedience and or faithfulness is a synonym. For obedience here uh, and there are curses for disobedience and for unfaithfulness and so one of the ways that that is um, kind of ritually enacted for the people is when they cross into the land our listeners are probably very familiar with that story of crossing the Jordan River um, circling the the city of Jericho and kind of the beginning of the conquest but as the people of Israel come into the land and drive out the Canaanites, um, one of the things that they do is they come into this valley. And there's two mountains, Mount Gerizim on the south side and Mount uh, Mount Ebal on the north side. And half of the tribes go up the southern mountain, Gerizim, and pronounce blessings. And you can kind of think of this like, you know, the whole nation gathered there in the valley. Half the Half the men probably go up to the left, half the men go up to the right. And then they, sh- they probably literally just are shouting in unison mm-hmm. blessings and then the response of cursings, which, you know, why do that? Well, uh, it's certainly a memorable way uh, to hear these things out loud. So what Moses is saying here in chapter 28, the people are going to actually speak back mm-hmm. uh, in the book of Joshua. And then those locations, Mount Gerizim, every time you see Gerizim, you have this visual reminder, this is very common in the Old Testament. There's setting up of altars and monuments and, and these reminders, um, physical locations. Um, Gerizim would remind the people of the blessings for obedience, and Ebal should remind them of the curses for disobedience. Kind of stands like a you know like a warning sign uh, that we would see.
0: So in the end of chapter 27, we heard some curses. There were 12 listed there. The beginning of chapter 28, there are blessings, 14 verses worth, and today we start The curses for disobedience, and they begin here in verse fifteen. And you actually don't get the whole chapter because it is so long from here on out that (laughs) there. Well, I want to. I want you to comment a little bit on that. Why or what does it teach us that there are so much? There's so much more space dedicated to the curses than there are to the blessings.
1: Yeah, I think I I had read somewhere that there's something like four times more cursings, than bl- curses mentioned, than blessings. Um, and I think part of that, we can, we can think of it like um, in the Ten Commandments. Um, every one of those commandments has both a, a prohibition, you shall not, and also an admoni- admonition, this is what you should do. And we're familiar with that from our catechism, really pulls that out well. Um, but the way that God delivers the, the commands are almost all in the negative, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. And I think part of the reason for that is because that is um, more vivid in our minds than the the positive admonition. Um, so similarly, similarly, the curses stand out. And I, you know, I'm going to go way out on a limb here, Tim, and I'm going to guess that most of our our listeners this is probably nobody's favorite chapter of the Bible.
0: Right? You told that's me it was just, yours. I thought.
1: Well, <laughs> that's because I'm strange, but. <laughs> This is not one you know that people have confirmation verses out of. That's right. <laughs> um, but those warnings, you, I think of this as a parent. I know you have mm-hmm. have small children too. How much of your time is spent telling your kids, "Don't do this, don't do that." If you do that, this is what's going to happen. You know, you you are constantly warning, um, and that's not because you're um, you know obsessed with threats um, or you're you're just out to get your kids. It's just in the in the world that we live in, with a fallen world around us and fallen sinful nature within us, um, we need the warnings and we need the the threats. I'm not going to say more than the blessings, but we we need to hear the warnings.
0: Mm, they they certainly do stick in your mind. They are very vivid, as you said, and and, and in a way that perhaps the blessings. That- I don't know, it's it's easier, to, I think, to hold on to the imagery of the curses, it seems. And as you said, this is, is certainly something we do as parents. Is there something here for the preaching of the church and in, in the way that we—I mean, I know Walter says we need to let the gospel predominate. Is there something sure. here to to keep in mind as we preach the law?
1: Yeah, well, I think the—you know, you can oversimplify that law-gospel right. thing if you think of it in terms of just sheer— um, percentages, you know, right. the gospel predominates. This is the, the overly simplified version. The gospel predominates because fifty-one percent of the sermon was positive or was gospel, and for, only forty-nine was was law or negative. The Bible is, and when you read the prophets, you know, you don't get that percentage chop up. Right. Um, even Jesus is Jesus is preaching, and Saint Paul. I've never. Never looked into this, but it'd be interesting to to try to determine, mm. you know, percentages. In some ways, I think that would be um, that would be a silly thing to do. Yeah. Um, so the predomination of the gospel doesn't come from volume, as in the amount, um, and so actually the the amount of cursing here. I think actually serves to help the gospel predominate because what you see is the the absolute seriousness of sin mm. and and maybe that's the the thing that sticks out the most here. Um, when we read this, when we listen to it, um, it can feel like overly repetitive. And of course, I think this is the struggle of every um, sinner, um, every every person born in sin, there's always this little bit of like, um, rebellion in us, even at, even once the Holy Spirit converts a person, there's still this like, well, but is it really that bad? Mm. You know, there's yeah. there's this sense like, well, God is he's he's overreacting um, to sin. It's not that bad. And so what you see here in Deuteronomy 28 is a is a important corrective on that. That yes, sin um, needs to be dealt with and God is going to deal with it. And he's not just going to sweep it under a rug or, and he's not even just going to like do some kind of educational reform. Like what they, what Israel really needed was to just be taught a little bit more. Um, he's, he is going to wipe sin out completely. He's going to destroy it. Um, ultimately through Jesus and in the, on the last day, we're going to see that. Um, but even along the way, When God acts in judgment, it's just, and he's doing it to uh, wipe out sin.
0: I think you said that very well. And and then when we let the, the curses have this much space and we see the great destruction caused by sin and the great seriousness of our sin, and then when we see how our Lord Jesus Christ takes these curses upon himself by taking our sin on himself and what God does to our sin in Christ, then the gospel really does predominate. We see its great power that all of this, I mean, and this is pretty brutal stuff that we're going to read today. All of this is overcome by what Christ does on the cross. There is, I mean, I'm reminded of the way St. Paul speaks in Romans, that the gospel is the power of salvation. And you, you do see the way the gospel predominates, not by the the volume or the, the space dedicated to it, by what it's, but by what its power is to overcome and to defeat these curses.
1: Yeah, there's a. I, I know um, we mentioned Walther already, but he has a, a great line or, or two. I think it's in Law and Gospel, where he says, you know, we are not painted sinners, and we don't have a painted savior, mm. um, which me, by which he means, you know, we it's our sin is not just a cartoon or it's not just an image; it's a reality, and our savior is uh, the Lord Jesus. Is his death on the cross was not just, um, you know, a painted nice. Image it was he became a curse for us. And uh, that's even the language of St. Paul, right? Um, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul applies that to Jesus hanging on the, the cross and absorbing this curse that is the just sentence on, on our sin. Mm.
0: Well, let's go ahead and take a look at this text. We're in Deuteronomy 28, beginning at verse 15 this morning. Moses continues... But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do, until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish." And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes look on and fall with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless." A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils, of which you cannot be healed, from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity." The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. That's where we pause today. That's our text, Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 to 44. So, fun times, as our friend yeah, Pastor Lord Paul might have mercy. say. Lord have yeah. mercy. Yeah. So, Pastor Apple, does, as we start here, what is it? I mean, we're talking about curses. What does that mean to be cursed?
1: Well, I think the the text itself tells you what it means. Right, that it's just chapter twenty-eight is one prolonged, um, well, not all of twenty-eight, but our our portion of it is a long, prolonged definition of what it means to be cursed. And I think a good a good way to think of this is to ha- is um, think back to a similar kind of. Um, warning a similar threat that was given in the beginning to Adam Uh, in the day that you eat of it the Lord said to him dying you shall surely die which is you know a very concise condensed version of what it means to be cursed to be to to die Um, and so here in chapter 28 that original curse that hung over Adam is fleshed out if you will it's kind of um, extrapolated and you hear it applied to what does kind of a living death look like in every area of life Um, so i was trying as i was preparing for this i was trying to see is there like a a logic to the development of these curses and I, i really couldn't find one tim other than it's just total every every aspect of life is touched by the curse and whatever the curse touches Um, the power is removed it's destroyed destroyed not in the sense that it's completely annihilated um, but all of the hopes all of the longings all of the vitality is drained from life so you can think of um, what it says about these there's these various um, curses that will hang over the family right your wife will be taken you will have children right? So it's not that you won't have children, but they won't be yours because they'll be taken from you. So everything is, is sucked away from you. And that's what it means to be cursed is to have no power to be rendered, um, completely useless, I guess.
0: Mm. And what the way you, living, living death, I think is one of the ways you put it or something like that, that I think is, is very helpful and, and a way to, to wrap all this up. I, I think, you're right. There's not a a complete, you know, from one step to the next as, as you go through the various consequences, although it does seem to get worse throughout. And the, the matter of losing hope, I think really comes through very strongly in about say verse 30, I think is where you were referencing that you betrothed the wife, but another man ravishes. You build the house, but someone else dwells in it. You plant the vineyard. You don't enjoy the fruit. All of these hopes and longings that you have for life are taken away and, and that comes through over and over again and it does it touches every aspect of life in the first few verses of the text where the word cursed is used over and over again it's I mean it's here and there and everywhere from A to Z we hear echoes I think of, of the blessings just as the blessings were for all of life so the curses are going to touch every aspect possible
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can see the family is touched there. There is mention of like mental anguish. Right. So despair um, and even confusion. So just a disordered mind, Um, your your mental life, your family life, your, um, you know, the the crops certainly come up because Israel is an agrarian um, society. So um, your your crops, your food, your livelihood is is kind of drained becomes empty Um, your city is besieged your city is destroyed your nation as a whole right another king not your own king but another king is going to come and rule over you this that's what it means to be cursed it's when everything um, is dying or dead to you and that's what moses is going to say i think it's in chapter 30 where he says see i have set before you two ways life and death and so, death here. When I say a living death, that's what I mean. It's not just that your physical life life will cease. Right. The mm. the threat is not that God is just going to you know snap his fingers and annihilate Israel, but it's that every element of their life is instead of um, blessing and life is going to be an experience of of you know like Adam
0: had uh, of death. Mm. Right. And and. Like you said there in the beginning, when they do eat from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from, they don't die physically right then and there. They die spiritually, right then and there. But the the consequences of that sin work themselves out. And it's it's striking that, you know, you, you brought up the command that's given about not eating and the consequence of dying when you do. The word cursed though doesn't show up until Genesis chapter three. And it first shows up, I think, in connection with the serpent, that the serpent actually receives that very first cursed like we're hearing here in Deuteronomy twenty eight. The mm-hmm. the guest that we had for chapter twenty seven, which also mentions curses in that chapter, brought this up that in the receiving these curses, and maybe this is part of the, the reason for the curses, is rather than allying yourself with the Lord and his word, you've now allied yourself with the tempter, with the, the enemy, and so you receive the curse.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's a great connection to make, because it, it helps us see that when God pronounces a curse, this is this is what I was saying before, there's always this struggle, like, it's not fair, you know, it's not fair, it's an overreaction or something. Well, you know, God, when but when we hear it applied to the devil, we cheer, right? That's yes, the that's gospel, right. Yeah. right? That's the first, and isn't that great? The first um, gospel is not spoken to Adam and Eve, but it's actually spoken as a curse on the devil. Mm-hmm. That judgment is rendered, Okay, so now, um, if if and when Israel falls into you know the sway of the devil under his reign, well, the curse that's looming over him is now going to hang on Israel too. And we we shouldn't say, well, that's not fair. You know, it's only <laughs> it's only fair when it's a curse on the devil. But if I start acting like him, if I show myself to be a son of the devil, um, in Jesus's language, by doing the works hmm. of the devil, well. The curse is going to come on me, and that's—it's a threat. And so we certainly read this, and if we're thinking, you know, in terms of law gospel, we're going to say this is second use of the law, um, kind of language, right? That's meant to lead us to repentance, and it is. Um, but it's also what what we're learning here, what what we're being taught, is to see how God views sin and how he how he's going to deal with it. Um, I I mentioned before, he doesn't sweep it away. He doesn't turn around and laugh and say, isn't that cute? Um, But he actually says, I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to destroy um, sin. I'm going to wipe it out. And I mean, isn't that isn't that the hope that we have, Tim, Mm. is that one day um, we will be glorified and in our glorified state, our mind will serve God purely. There will not be any division within us anymore. There won't be this, uh, you know, simul justus et or struggle any longer in in us. We will be um, completely free of sin. And, uh, you know, I want that. I long for that day because, you know, we get tired. The whole creation groans for that day.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and so even in a text like this, we're seeing how the Lord does preach the gospel, even if it's you have to work your way through it. But yeah, it's yeah. it's fantastic. Now it, you mentioned the the second use of the law, which certainly does come through. There is repentance. It, it seems for Israel, Moses is is I think more using it as or thinking first use of the law here. a a curb on their behavior. Granted, and and you mentioned this earlier, there is the sense in, you know, there's an, if you do this, this will happen. But there's also that prophetic seeming, I mean, as, especially as it goes on, it's almost a when more than an if. But I, I do think there is a, a first use sense here that Moses intends to curb their behavior. As you mentioned, kind of the climax that he's building to in chapter 30, here's the two ways, choose life. That's a more of a, a curbing use as well.
1: Sure, I think that whenever we talk about the functions of the law, they're, they're, they um, they do kind of work simultaneously, yeah. right? So I think you're right. The law and the threats of the law we're really dealing because it's not a specific command that's given here, and it's not you know so much of the of the law Deuteronomy and especially in Exodus you get this. Um, it, there's like a specific case. And there's a a punishment that's connected to, you know, if you steal someone's ox, here's the punishment, right? This is like um, zoomed out. And we're talking about, you know, um, just the the sort of totality of life. It's not just if you break one commandment, boom, you know, the curse is going to fall. But it's if you lose faith, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, if you spurn me, the Lord says, then you will be cursed. And so that, that total um, rejection of God, that apostasy um, or the, the, the loss of faith and the, the subsequent disobedience of the Lord, that's what's kind of under view here.
0: Yeah, it's a very broad picture. We're going to keep looking at it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking about Deuteronomy 28 with Pastor David Appold. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, September 22nd. We're studying Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 to 44 with Pastor David Appold. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, prior to the break, we were talking about the why, why the Lord sends these curses. And you mentioned that in this case, we're not dealing so much with a specific, you stole, so here's the punishment. We've seen plenty of that in the book of Deuteronomy, where various case law is laid out. Here is a much more general. And uh, uh, I mean, the way, well, what are some of the ways that we see it in the text? How does Moses lay out the why this happens in this text?
1: Yeah, the the rationale given here, again, is not um, one particular sin. Uh, but it is, in verse 15, it puts it this way, um, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord and do His commandments. So um, the listening, right, we often would would associate that, you know, obedience, uh, obeying a voice, you obey that by listening. Um, I think here is a a good place to to say it starts with faith, Mm -hmm. and when faith departs, then disobedience is going to come in too, right? So faith and action, belief and doing are always, you know, kind of married. They go together. And it starts when when you will no longer obey the voice, listen to the voice, obey the voice, and then you won't do the commandments. Then you've spurned the Lord. That's what it goes on to in verse 20. Um, you get it spelled out very specifically. It says, um, These things will come on you on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me, the Lord. So it's this rejection of, you know, it's a personal affront to God, uh, a refusal to trust him, to listen to him and to do the things that he says to do. Um, If you think of it in terms of the, the context here, the covenant, God has established this, his relation to Israel um, he doesn't come in with just, hey, I'm gonna curse you if you don't listen to me. Um, but he's already done he's already redeemed them, right He's already brought them out of Egypt. he's guided them through the wilderness. Um, he's provided the sacrifices in in the temple and the ta- I'm sorry not the temple, the tabernacle. So he dwells among them. and um, in a sense, maybe a good way for for us to think of this is like a marriage, right? Um, he has brought Israel as his, as his bride. And now he's saying, now, if you spurn me, if you reject me, then I will reject you in essence, right? Um, It's not going to be uh, that I just sit back uh, forever when you reject me.
0: Well, now this is where things I think are a bit challenging and maybe some of the place where people start to think well that's that's not fair is because on the one hand I mean we're talking very general here there's not a specific sin given but anytime we sin that is a rejection of God and his word. I mean, I, you know, in confirmation classes, when we talk about the commandments, we, we talk about how anytime we break commandments two through 10 in some small, air quotes around small actual sin, that we've broken the first, we've rejected God as our God, but he doesn't always send the curse right then and there. I mean, that's where I think sometimes it's like, well, you didn't do it this time, God. Why are you doing it now? Maybe that's where some of the the accusations against God as unfair come about. Now, of course, that's not—we can't go there, but maybe that's where some of our trouble comes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can um, you can think of it—of uh, course, as a parent, my analogies are often—I'm I'm a sports fan, um, <laughs> so my, my analogies are, are always sports, my stories are always sports, or um, raising children. But there's a difference between, like— um, my child being stubborn and completely obstinate to me mm-hmm. um, over and over and over again and kind of a one time thing or even, you know, um, a, a few times there. I, and you can tell as a parent when that's happening. Um, now, thankfully, my kids are small enough that they even when they've been in, you know, quote unquote, big trouble. Um, it hasn't been that big. You know, and that I've never we've never gotten anywhere close to a point where, you know, one of my kids is saying, well, to heck with you, dad. I'm leaving. I'm going out on my own. But that's what's being described here in Deuteronomy 28. It's not just the and I I don't say this to to make little of any sin, because you are right. Um, Any sin is rebellion against God. But the particular sins um, are they're different in scope. In character. And the refusal to listen to the Lord, the refusal to um, to trust him, is really the rejection of him as God. It's the rejection of, um, to put it in, in these terms, it would be to reject Christ, to reject the gospel, and then to go off on my own way. Um, and, and we know this, even as Christians, once you're you're baptized and brought to faith, that doesn't mean sin stops in you. Um, But it does mean that your life is one is characterized by repentance. And so maybe this would be a good place to include that. If Israel gets to a place where they are utterly impenitent, unrepentant, um, that's when the curses come. And you can it's helpful to see how this chapter of Deuteronomy um, is played out in the played out. Maybe that's a bad way to put it. How this chapter is, um, you know, enacted on Israel in things like the exile into Babylon. Right. You know, it does come to the point where the, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel uh, do everything that's listed here, right? They utterly reject the Lord. They spurn his voice. They won't listen to his prophets. In fact, they kill the prophets. And so they're, they're sent into exile.
0: Well, bringing up the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament I think is helpful when you look at, and I'm, I'm thinking particularly once the kingdom is divided, and you start to hear back and forth between the two kingdoms, whether it's a good king or a bad king, and what the, what the judgment or the standard of judgment is, particularly it stands out with the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, that the reason that those kings continue to be judged as unfaithful— is is not because of you know the various moral failings that they have which are many king Ahab comes to mind but because they continue in the sin of Jeroboam in setting up the two golden calves in Bethel and Dan that that sin of idolatry if you want to label it it's it's that forsaking of the true worship of God and him alone that ends up being their their I mean that's why this chapter comes into a full force for them by the end of of their history. And when you look at the... And the other thing that comes to mind when you think about the history is just the, the timeline. This is the year 1406 BC when Moses is speaking in Deuteronomy. The northern kingdom Israel falls in 722, 721, and then the southern kingdom 586, 587 BC. That's a long time when God was patient with them and gracious and merciful, slow yep. to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, you see, you see that in, in just the history as well
1: yeah the lord is slow to anger but he will by no means clear the guilty and and that's that's really what comes through in chapter 28 there's there's you know here we just have the threats but you need the history you need the historical books um some knowledge of that to see hey god didn't just say you know he wasn't like um a parent who says hey little timmy uh, you know, I like to use your name, Tim. Hey, little Timmy, don't touch, don't touch that. But as soon as you say that, right, your kid wants to know, well, what will happen if I do? And so the the command not to do something kind of leads to a testing. And you know, as parents, you've got to follow through. And so you have to be careful. Well, if I'm going to actually give a, a threat, am I going to follow through on it? Mm-hmm. Um, and God does follow through on His threats. Right? He is not. He never speaks
0: idly. And, and I think it's it's important to keep in mind throughout this chapter, and, and perhaps more so in the the coming text that, that we get to look at tomorrow, but even in this one, that these, what happens to Israel, this is the Lord actually sending the curse. It's not uh, some historical accident, it's not just a... a a natural consequence of these things, but this is actually the Lord doing it. And that that may strike us as, well, that doesn't sound like God, but as you've been saying, the Lord does not sit idly by when it comes to sin. He does judge it in all of its seriousness.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point to make. Um, God is not saying here if you you know he's not doing um natural consequence parenting i don't know if you've if you've heard of that tim or not um we don't have to get into all that there's there's things um that are i think inadequate in that kind of view of of just giving a natural consequence and that's what what's in view here these are not just things that happen to israel they are things that are sent by god um he does punish um, and he does bless. There are temporal, we're not, and, and I think maybe this is a good point to make, we're, we're certainly, um, this curse on sin, this, this curse on disobedience, certainly points forward to the final, ultimate judgment, right, through the cross and to the last day. Um, we can see this theme of, of God's just judgment on sin, uh, but also in time. God does act. He He blesses. There are blessings for obedience, and there are um, there are actual consequences, not not just consequences, but there are curses uh, for disobedience.
0: Right, and, and you see this. The people of Israel reflect upon this later in their history. Coming, to, there's psalms that reflect upon this, and particularly the book of Lamentations, I think, reflects on we sinned and the Lord took us into exile. I mean that that's kind of the that's fast-forwarding all the way to the and it takes us to the end of this chapter as well. But that's where they begin to reflect on these things are not just historical accidents. This is the Lord doing what he said he would against our sin. And they do they do begin to repent there in the book of Lamentations, just as as one example. What about I mean and this is you know, we've been talking about the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament and how Deuteronomy 28 is worked out by the Lord in his people, what about for Christians today when it comes to our sin? And I mean, usually I think I talk about sin and its consequences. I usually don't say sin and its curse because Christ has become the curse for us now. How do how do we deal with this? And our I mean, as Christians now on the other side yeah. of the Christ.
1: Yeah, uh so Paul Paul applies this language if you're just looking for the actual language to Jesus on the on the cross cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And so we should start there. We should say how does God ultimately um how does he get rid of sin? How does he he fulfill his just um condemnation of sin and yet at the same time how does he justly have mercy on sinners? It's by taking the curse on himself, by sending his son Jesus, who um, suffers the full curse here, right? And through Christ, through baptism into him, um, by faith we are united to him, there is a way through the curse, right? Um, but what is begun in us um, through that um, baptismal waters, the, the death of the old Adam and the, and the resurrection of a new man, um, that is not complete Until we, you know, our old sinful nature is finally brought to nothing in the grave Um, And so I think, you know, we we do experience the curse we do and it's and it's not unjust It's not unfair. We experience the curse um, As we go through this world Um, there is a curse of a a just judgment on our own sin in our death certainly Mm -hmm. Um, now you also can experience, um, you know, depending on your situation in life, it's not a pleasant thing, but um, if you do spurn the Lord, there are curses that that come. And, And I think this is a warning against, you can think of in the New Testament, maybe the language of cursing is not as common Uh, right? But there are plenty of warnings about apostasy, there are Mm -hmm. warnings about wandering from the Lord. Um, You know, you can think of James, the spirit um, that dwells in you is jealous for you, don't spurn the spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul's epistles are full of this, and Jesus' own teaching, um, he gives plenty of warnings about hell and the outer darkness, and he holds it out as a, a legitimate reality. Um, that we should strive to avoid. So, I don't know if that kind of gets us in the direction you're thinking. What?
0: No, it it I, it is helpful. And what you said about the the language of cursing in the the New Testament and how it does get applied. One of the, at least the place that goes to comes to my mind is in Galatians one, where Paul says, you know, if anyone forsakes this gospel, let him be anathema. Which mm-hmm. is a you know, I guess I, I was thinking more about there. Are sin, we have we commit sins and there are consequences. Sometimes. To the same tune of, of Deuteronomy twenty eight in terms of the, the temporal consequences. And you brought up the certainly the temporal consequence of death that we all experience. But thinking through you know, the way that the New Testament uses the language of cursing and, and Paul's language there in, in Galatians one, where is it, verse one verse eight, for example, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed or anathema. You know, that, that language there is a, it's good, a good reminder, I think, of what you were saying earlier about how this applies to the people of Israel, that it's not just the one sin and boom, all this happens, but it is that apostasy from the Lord and his yeah. word. Similarly for us, this is, I mean, when we read these curses and we think about the language used in the New Testament, it's a it's a warning not to fall away from the gospel certainly we don't want to commit sins but ultimately it's a warning don't fall away from the gospel that's where the curse ultimately applies
1: yeah and that's I, I mentioned this before that this these curses certainly point ahead you know it shows the utter seriousness of sin it shows the justice of God um, and it's in, in that in doing that it shows us. Uh, a prefigurement of the death of Jesus, of what it means for him to become a curse for us, okay? But it also drives past the cross. It, it points us ahead to a final, there is going to be the, a final judgment. And that final judgment, these curses, um, the destruction of sin is going to uh, be seen by all of us. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's true both of, of those who are repentant and have found forgiveness and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And it's also true of those who have either not or who have fallen away. And that here you do have, I think, um, this is not a pleasant thing, but it's, but it's important to, to remember that hell is um, the, the place of cursing. It is the accursed place. And what happens there in hell is not annihilation, but it's just the continued experience of this loss of all vitality, loss of all life, the, the utter destruction of what God intends.
0: I'm glad you brought up hell in this context because I, I think, in in some respects, the description of just the, doing my job too. Well, yeah, well done. <laughs> the description of of hell as you know the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth or the lake of burning fire, which are certainly terribly unpleasant pictures. Sometimes it's it's almost so figurative that maybe we don't get the full force of it whereas in Deuteronomy 28 the picture of and you called it a living death or if you want to think about a living hell the picture here these are the things that no one wants to go through and and particularly just to to bring up the ones that you brought up earlier about betrothing a wife but another ravishing her or your sons and daughters given to another people while your eyes look on and fall with longing them you know, all the day long, but you're helpless to do anything. Those are the things I think that at least in this life, we dread the most. Those get to some of our, our deepest fears because our, our hope is just entirely gone. And so if if we think about Deuteronomy 28 then as a picture of of a living death or a living hell, that really does impress upon us the seriousness of you really want to avoid hell. You you don't want to go. I mean, like I know it sounds cliche, but you don't want to go yeah. there. it will yeah. be absolutely awful in ways that are beyond your worst fears.
1: Yeah. The the again, I, I like to connect this back with with Genesis three and the fall into sin because I think there's so many um, similarities. But but one of Another place to connect it to then is to the exile. So mm-hmm. um, the curse on Adam in Genesis three, this threat in Deuteronomy twenty-eight, the exile of Israel um, into Babylon, and you know you mentioned the book of Lamentations before, um, and then you know the final um, judgment on sin and the destruction of sin in hell. Um, I think linking all those things together helps you to see this isn't just. You know, you hear this sometimes. This is not just the people of Israel kind of having a misunderstanding about God's character. And so they they didn't quite understand God back in the Old Testament. But now we have a better picture. And he's, you know, he's more merciful now than he was back then. Hmm. I think that that shows kind of a a, just a very shallow understanding of what mercy is, right? Um, For mercy to really be mercy there has to be this kind of understanding of what what I've called here today the seriousness of sin or the sinfulness of sin and the justice of God uh, on in in passing this kind of judgment on sin. You know, if if you don't have that as a kind of basic understanding, then what is mercy? You know, what are we being saved from? What are we being forgiven uh, if it's no big deal? You know, the the lighter that we take sin, the lighter we will take grace. And the more, you know, cons- conversely, the more seriously we understand sin, um, the more seriously and, and wonderfully we will understand God's grace.
0: All right. So if, if I see Deuteronomy 28 as the chapter that describes everything that— christ took on for me all the things that i deserved but christ took them on in my place then suddenly grace becomes that much more incredible and although it it is credible it's believable no doubt and god grant us such faith but what an amazing thing that this this sort of punishment and curse this is what christ took for me
1: yeah yeah, the and it also helps with um, you know, sometimes you read like um I think Psalm 38 is the psalm where um, you know, the psalmist, David, I think it's the psalm of David, uh he's he's going on about how his experience has become, you know, I'm like a wor- I am a worm and not a man. Or that might be Psalm 22. Yeah. E- either one of those is a good a good psalm to read and get that sort of um, you know, if you hear that in the voice of Jesus, that this is what he's gone through, that's the experience of the curse. I feel like a worm and not a man, and all of God's arrows have have come into me um, because of my sin. And from time to time, we do experience that ourselves, right, that sense of um, you know the gravity of what I have done and my sinfulness, and it, it's such a wonderful thing to also then experience. We don't want to put hang everything on emotional experiences, right? But there is um, a real experience of the 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 gravity of sin and the gravity of grace that I think a chapter like Deuteronomy twenty eight helps us to uh, to to come to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, I think that's helpful. Very helpful. And I mean, as you're talking about, you know, the gravity of sin, the gravity of grace, and we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, what is this, how does this chapter point us to repentance? I think in, in the New Testament, Jesus' words in Luke 13 about, you know, what if, what if disaster happens to those people over there? Well, he says, you repent, right? I mean, and I think a chapter like this, then anytime we do experience temporally in this life, things that are described in deuteronomy 28 all the way up to you know the point of death which as you said that is what all sinners earn that what is the call for us as christians it is to repent and to place our trust in christ our lord who took all of this curse upon himself
1: yeah the and uh, you know you you can see this too in terms of um anytime you experience sickness um, anytime, you know, it doesn't have to be a catastrophic thing. It could right. be something as simple as a flu uh, or a cold or, or some, you know, that just simply aging, right? And the loss of, I can't do what I used to do. My eyes, I have terrible eyesight, Tim. My eyes don't work like they ought to, right? These are all little um, kind of signs. They're all little um, things that that should tell us this is not the way that it should be. And so they're little you know, warning signs, little calls to repentance. Um, not because again, you know, it's not that I, you know, have terrible vision because when I was three years old, I disobeyed my parents once. Right. Um, but it is the, the, you know, the inheritance, um, of sin and the, um, the sinfulness of man, um, still has, uh, a, a curse on it, and we experience that curse. Um, you know, I, I don't want to shy away from talking about that. We do experience the curse of God, and it's not unfair. Maybe that's yeah. that's the other thing that's important to to bring to mind here. It's not unfair, and also it's not the only thing He does to us. That's right. Right. He has. He also has provided the way through the curse. And that's what we love. That's what we preach. That's what we have this um, this calling to to make known to the whole world.
0: That's right. That's right. We got about three minutes here, Pastor Apple. Help us to wrap things up on Deuteronomy twenty eight. Help us again to to see the seriousness of sin in this chapter, and also the gravity of what our what our Savior Jesus has done.
1: Yeah. Look look at what God um, the the seriousness with which He warns His people, and the the total destruction. That he lays out on sin this is you know the judge when the judge speaks he doesn't speak lightly about these things and so when we read it you know it just feels like man it's just piling on more and more and more and it's all worse and worse and worse Um, that is if you can see it from God's perspective that's his sentence on sin Um, but that's not the only word he speaks about sin And that's not the only thing he said to Israel. It's not the only thing that he says to us when we study, you know, individual chapters or just a section. You might get a a sort of tunnel vision or a myopic view, Um, but he also promises a Savior who is going to become this curse for us, who's going to take on himself the curse that that we would earn. And so all of these things, um, seeing what God is going to do with our sin in his son, Jesus Christ, he's going to wipe it out completely. And then I think there's, there's a lot of hope. That might seem kind of counterintuitive, but there is a hope that Deuteronomy 28 puts before us of the day, the last day, the final day that will usher in eternity where there will be no more sin, none, no more curse, no more threat hanging over us because sin will have been dealt with once and for all.
0: Pastor David Appold is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us today with Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 to 44. Pastor Appold, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim.
0: I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.